Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike. I'm flying solo today. It is currently Saturday. Just got done with a round of golf. Didn't play so well, but it's nice to be able to get outside and do some stuff here in uh, just the early beginnings of spring here in Columbus. Appreciate everybody tuning in because, you know, we can't do this without you guys. We can't really continue to make these stories and, and put out content unless there are people to listen to it. So we appreciate every one of you tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we've got a uh, double guest appearance. So today we're talking to Saket Agrawal and Naveen Goyal. And Naveen is a co-founder, one of three co-founders of Smile MD. And uh, Saket currently serves as the CEO. And they both have really great background, interesting stories. And what stood out to me from the conversation is that they both take opportunities and grab them by the horns and really just take them on. Both of them have experience outside of the businesses they're currently involved with, but they saw an opportunity and they took it. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I know that we did. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike, here in the booth with me today is Josh. He's messing around with his microphone. It's not the one he usually uses. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, man. I've probably been better. I guess you're just trying to figure out if I've ever done this before and if I know what a microphone is. So, Well, at this point, we want to take a moment to introduce our guests. And our guests today are Saket Agrawal and Naveen Goyal. And Saket is the CEO, and Naveen is a co-founder of Smile MD, also known as Off4 Health, a mobile anesthesia and healthcare company that provides access to care currently servicing patients in three states. And Saket is currently the CEO for Smile MD, while Naveen also serves as co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital, a venture capital firm focused on empowering founders utilizing a unique investment model. We'll talk more about that today, along with their journey with Smile MD and everything else they have working on today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, and probably best to take a moment to just do a quick introduction of yourself so everybody can know who's who in this conversation because they can't see us. Yeah, so this is Naveen here. Um, I'm a physician by trade and anesthesiologist, and I left medicine not too long ago to run Loud Capital, which is early stage investment firm and venture capital. Nice to be here. Hello, this is Kate Agrawal. I'm the CEO of Offer Health. Also glad to be here. Thanks for jumping on with us. So Usually what we'll start off is we try to talk about the milestones along the way, maybe before someone started their career, started the journey of creating a company. And uh, they re- reflect back on sometimes people start as far as childhood and where they grew up. And, and sometimes people start, you know, in, in undergrad, it really just depends. So 
for each of you, if you wouldn't mind going by, you know, what are the key milestones that you really reflect back on that made you who you are and that you usually tell people when they ask, you know, who is Naveen or who is Saket? I'm the guy that's going to go back to childhood. I've, uh, I've always had business in my blood and it showed at a very young age. I, uh, used to sell magazines when I was in third or fourth grade in school. I was the kid that got in trouble. I would sneak out of school to a local gas station, buy Coca-Colas and, and candy bars and come back to school and sell them in the school. And so I guess entrepreneurship or business has always been a, a part of my life. I started working at age 10, had a paper routes, did it all the way through high school uh, until I graduated uh, until I went to Ohio State, did a computer science electrical engineering degree, worked a little bit, got my MBA at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, went to Silicon Valley for 10 years before Naveen convinced me to move back to Columbus uh, to help run SmileMD and uh, see where we could take this thing. And so it's been a wild, long journey. I've got, had an opportunity to travel the world, uh, do all sorts of different types of roles in, in Silicon Valley, and uh, just uh, it's been a whirlwind. So why North Carolina and why Silicon Valley? North Carolina it was a choice. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to business school in the Midwest. I wanted to just kind of venture out. Uh, actually gave up a full scholarship to, to pay full tuition in North Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, uh, you know, as a business minded man, you'd be like, oh, okay, why'd you do that? But it was an amazing time. Chapel Hill was an amazing place. It's always great. I've always been a guy that like wants to get new exposure. So I've had a I've been blessed to live all over the place in the U.S., albeit for short times. I lived in Boston, North Carolina, Texas, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, Columbus, Mansfield even. Mansfield. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get to Mansfield? <laughs> I graduated. There's a very big difference. That's what's good. I, I cherish my time in Mansfield <laughs> immensely. I was there for three years, actually, after I graduated from college. I graduated in .com bust. So imagine being a computer science electrical engineer and, and the, the whole world is falling apart. So I got lucky enough to find a job in Mansfield for a manufacturing company that was acquired by a financial institution that was acquiring a bunch of manufacturing companies. And so my, my role was building out the network infrastructure uh, of combining all these manufacturing facilities. And so I think it helped shape who I am today. And even the mission statement of Offer Health is Mansfield was and it still is, is, is very different than Columbus, as we, as we can all imagine. I had an opportunity to work with, you know, people of various different lifestyles, and it was eye-opening. I, I really cherished my time there, and the, the spirit and grit of the people that were in Mansfield uh, really left an impression on me. Naveen? So my ambitions and goals was to be a doctor. I'm an Indian American, so it's not a really unique story, but... Uh, parents wanted me to be a doctor and I actually liked science. I liked uh, everything about being a physician, helping people, being in a privileged position to work hard and do right by people. So that's what I did. And I was fortunate and still grateful that I got into medical school. I wasn't one of the uh, whiz kids like the guys, you know, sitting next to me. He he aced his tests and did all these things. I worked really hard just to to do well. And I'm not taking away efforts here, but I got into medical school, went to Cincinnati for medical school, trained in anesthesiology in Chicago. And uh, I was so happy and content. And I joined private practice here in Columbus, uh, worked at a private practice for a total of 13 years, made great money, you know, went through a lot of stress, but eventually I got bored. 
and I wasn't fulfilled. And at some points I was number one, not fulfilled, not feeling very excited to go into work. Number two, I was taking care of patients that I really couldn't relate to. They were just folks who weren't taking good care of themselves. I was spending all my time and my mindset taking care of them. And then they would leave the hospital and I had no impact on their life. So I believe that I felt a lack of impact on my, on my side. And as I was getting a little older and you know, I, I'd never been exposed to business, never really had an entrepreneurial bug like Sakai had. Um, but I started reading books, started reading the Wall Street Journal, the business section, and I was intrigued by people leaving areas of comfort to pursue passions or purpose. And to me, that was radical because I had worked my life to get into a career of stability and then also fulfillment of helping people. So number one, I was in a stable position, but I wasn't fulfilled. And then I was inspired by people who were just following their purpose. And as I thought about impact of people and what I was putting my mindset and time to, uh, entrepreneurship just was intriguing to me. And it was at the time where Tesla went public and, you know, Steve Jobs was alive and, and you know, you have these like game changing people. So I started reaching out to folks. I started angel investing, learning about the business world, learning about entrepreneurship, ended up co-founding SmileMD in 2014. And that was my first journey of true grit and testament of trying something out, putting yourself out there. And I will say as a physician who's quote unquote made it out there, to put yourself out there to fail is a very uncomfortable thing. And you become used to this great nest of stability and respect in society. And I don't know what it was, but something pushed me and the co-founders of SmileMD to do it. And that really helped me grow. Yeah, I think, you know, something I've been seeing is just a trend overall in terms of our generation and the generation of people that are coming up through the workforce right now, right? Like people don't want to, it used to be, hey, you got to take that job. It's a good job. Just deal with it. You need something stable, but I don't think people are looking for that anymore. I think more and more people are starting to become similar to what you're saying, which is, hey, we got to chase, you got to chase after what you're passionate about. And I think the money follows. Yep. But, but I think even the ability to walk away from the elements of stability from a financial standpoint and also from a respect and credibility standpoint that you have in your field. I mean, you think about what most people are chasing on a regular basis. It's the ability to walk into a room and have people look up to them and respect them and then know that you can go home and be financially stable and have freedom and do what you want. And not a lot of people are going to trade those things to jump into uh, a venture to feel more fulfilled in another aspect of life. So that's very interesting to hear. I'm curious, I mean, you, you have this lack of fulfillment and you have this passion and push towards business. And I'm assuming the idea comes out, but how does that zero to one concept and, and how do you guys begin to actually turn this into a real business? Yeah, so, I mean, the benefit that myself and the co-founders had is, you know, us three co-founders and, and the two aren't here today, but uh, we're all anesthesiologists. And so we were fortunate enough to make good income, have a little bit of extra time. And so when we started SmileMD, it was a side gig. It was, hey, let's try this out. So I will be the first one to say, I didn't have to leave this amazing position and income immediately. I ended up doing that and people will call me crazy one day, but Initially, it was a low risk mm -hmm. um, in the sense of financial risk. Credibility risk was was a little bit higher, I think, in my eyes, because again, once again, just leaving the comfort of being a physician and 
putting yourself out for failure. So we were able to do that for a couple of years and we tested it out and we were learning literally one-on-one, asking people, hey, how do you market this? How do you come up with a business model? How do you charge patients? How do you, I mean, we had no idea, but I think in retrospect, that was really the fun of it. It was, it was our own pathway. It was when we were searching on Google, when we were reaching out to people, it was for our own company and that's priceless. And so we're fortunate enough to be talking today and you know, we recently got funded, I'm sure we'll get into and growing and now in three states, but you know, we were in a kitchen table. It wasn't a garage in Silicon Valley, it was a kitchen table in Dublin, Ohio. And we decided to move forward. We talked to some attorneys because growing a health or starting a healthcare company that actually takes care, of, takes care of patients in the United States of America, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? If I want to start a digital health company, that's one thing and I'm not like downplaying it, but to actually take care of patients, you can think of liability, insurance, mm-hmm. logistics, bad things, good things, it's a big deal. Fortunately, we're anesthesiologists and that's what we were doing at the hospitals. And so how do you make that model work in the office? But um, going back to your original question, we were fortunate enough to do this initially as a side gig, test things out. And as things started picking up, that's where kind of Sakai came in the picture. Yeah. And Sakai, how do you, how do you get into that then? So Naveen give you a call like, hey, come on down to Columbus or I'm sure he had a better pitch than that. <laughs> instead, instead of a call, he's actually, he was out visiting family in, in San Francisco when I was out there and gave me a call. Just we're, we're, we're childhood friends. Let me know he was out there. And uh, we met up for dinner uh, at his, at his family's house. And he was just telling me, he's like, I have this really cool concept that we've got kicked off the ground. Him and the, and the two other co-founders that I know also from childhood. Um, he was telling me about it. And obviously back in 2014, 2015, the, all the rage was, you know, the Ubers of the world, which is supply demand matching, you know, on demand services. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the thick of it. I mean, I was at Intel, which is a huge corporation, but I was working with startups. I think I've heard of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was working with startups. I was working with engineers. I was working in marketing and sales and I was flying all over the world. And I was entrenched in Silicon Valley, you know, even though you're at Intel, which is a large corporation, the the culture of the Valley is to be involved. And we have a lot of friends uh, in the area that were a part of startups or venture capital. And so I was just throwing ideas off of them. Hey, how do you guys scale this? Like, what are, what are things that you're thinking? I could see a technology platform play here about on, on demand anesthesia. You know, I didn't have a single healthcare background whatsoever when I, when he was telling me, and so I just kind of was you know, brainstorming with him. And then I think you came back a second time or you called me and he was like, hey, wait a second. Um, would you be interested in coming to Columbus and, and running <laughs> this thing? And I was like, Psh, no, of course not. Um, and then as I started to get, and this is all within six months, so by the way, but like I had already been there 10 years, um, super confident in my skill sets, had been itching to kind of go into a smaller startup environment. I had built up a ton of project management, management uh, skill sets. I worked in finance, marketing, uh, you know, across the board. And so I got to see how every organization worked, how people did things. And I was ready. I mean, I was just truly ready. And I said, well, there's no better time than now and no safer place than home uh, to to go and bet on yourself. And so it uh, took about three to four months of talking back and forth with the guys and um, eventually made the plunge. Uh, 
it was an interesting conversation. I met my wife out in San Francisco, um, telling her I was going to move back to Columbus. And, uh, and luckily she's from Ohio and she has family here in Ohio, but, uh, that was purely coincidental at the time. And so, yeah, I, I bet on myself and mm-hmm. it was just, it was some, something you feel like you're ready for and, and ready to do. And so when did, when did you come back to Columbus? 2016. So they were two years into already having launched the company and getting initial traction. And so I joined July, 2016 or June, 2016, around that time frame. Mm-hmm. It was scary. Were you surprised by what you found in Columbus? I guess just from a city's perspective? Uh, I mean, I come s- home, my parents are here, but yeah. I, it was completely different. I mean, coming back is full time is, is a little bit different, right? Columbus from 2002, when I left to 2016 is, uh, is night and day different. And it was on the forefront of booming. And one of the things that I always like about when, when you hear success stories, it's not about being in a saturated market like San Francisco or Boston, right? Where I, I, had, I had an opportunity to live. Columbus just had a vibe. And so having family and friends around and then the vibe of like, uh, you know, entrepreneurship was live and well, and it, it maybe more in its infancy, but that's where you get to be the trailblazer, right? I mean, that's where you get to have an impact. I mean, that's how we're loud capital came into play and filled a need. So when I think back of what Silicon Valley, even like the eighties, it was not like what it is today where it's full of different types of people now. And a lot of Ivy League people now have moved to to the Silicon Valley, right? And it's kind of changed the, the mentality um, I think it was a bunch of upstart people that, that kicked off Silicon Valley in even, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So those first two years, I think I kind of missed the pieces on how those started to unfold. I know that you were kind of doing this double duty. Yeah. Did you start to find traction right away? Did you have any pushback? or think maybe this concept or idea wouldn't work. So basically taking a step back, uh, the medical world and the dental world are very separated. And this started out with uh, a few dental friends, uh, you know, who are dentists reached out and asked us to do anesthesia at their practices. And I was like, I've never really thought about that before. You know, you go to medical school, you go into hospitals, you never really deal that much with dentistry outside of uh, some pediatric rotations, et cetera, but never really think about it. And when this question was posed to us, I'm like, huh, I never really thought about that. You know, we're, we go to hospitals, we go to surgery centers. And so we started looking into it, started asking a, more, a bunch of questions. And one of the comments was, we actually get people from all over the country that fly in to get this very expensive dental work. And it would be great to have an anesthesiologist there to do sedation for them. So that was intriguing enough for us to look into it. And we started looking into it. It was enough for us to start and, mm-hmm. and be motivated enough to start the company. And I'll, I'll call it an LLC. And that was it. So we started, it was very slow. I'll be the first person to say entrepreneurship for me in every endeavor so far has been not a straight line, which is probably the truth, but more people need to hear it. Uh, there was plenty of times even before Sakai came where we're like, are we going to continue this? This is a total side gig. We barely have any patients. We have one patient next month. We have two patients the month after. Like, what are we doing? We're spending money because, 
And in the US, you're spending money on medical malpractice, supplies, medications. Those things aren't cheap. And so like, what are we doing here? But we just kept going. We said, we know there's something here. We know that the field of anesthesiology hasn't really touched dentistry. And we feel there is some benefit here. There's some bridge that is potentially gonna be built and we're onto something. That's, those are a lot of conversations that we had. Mm-hmm. But I will be the first person to say there was three or four times where we're like, fuck this, should we, should we be done? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then at what point did you start to get enough clients where you said, you know, let's keep it rolling and this is something more serious and we do need somebody to step on and actually run this thing like a business? So one of the, what I call milestone moments of the company was about a year in when an insurance company reached out and said, hey, do you guys take care of kids? And at the time we did. And one of my co-founders is a pediatric anesthesiologist. And we said, in general, there's a lot of kids who go to dental practices who will need anesthesia. So eventually when kids need procedures, they go to a hospital or surgery center to basically get the procedure done, but anesthesia is there and that's how that's how that works. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna sit in a chair like any of us at the table and get some local anesthetic and get that procedure done. So we said, you know, there is gonna be an opportunity for kids. And he said that from the beginning. And we said, okay. And so a year into it, an insurance company reached out and said, hey, do you take care of kids? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, we have this backlog at the hospitals and we're trying to take care of our kids. And this was in, at the time in the state of Ohio. And we realized by the way, it's all 50 states and probably around the world that there's plenty of kids with dental issues that need to be taken care of who are not. And the system um, qualifies them as kind of lower priority because there's other high pain procedures. That's, this, that's the real sadness of the system. And that's why we exist. And so that was some big milestone. And we basically had an opportunity to pitch to an insurance company our vision of enabling procedures in offices that required anesthesia. And so why does everyone need to wait for this limited hospital system or you know surgery centers that are far away? And that was it. So as it was up and down with our regular business and cash pain patients, the insurance company inquiry was a big carrot for us to say, let's keep going. And by the way, that took a couple of years to come to fruition but it was well worth it. And still there's a team of three at that point when this comes along? This was maybe a team of four. Right. <laughs> so this was three co-founders and maybe a uh, dental practice manager who we hired on and maybe one more employee. But it was, yeah, it was between three to five, mm-hmm. four to five. So, okay, so what's the, what's the team look like when you get there? Uh, those same two people <laughs> plus these three co-founders and then now myself. What did and you we had a part-time COO at that time as well. Ryan mm-hmm. was was there. So um, they had built out, uh, they had patients, they had revenue. Um, I don't think it was a sustainable model at that time, but it was enough mm-hmm. to get us mm-hmm. off the ground. Like you said, we, they had a conversation with an insurer that was promising. And so I get on the ground, I have no clinical background, no healthcare background. And I said, what the hell did I get myself into? Um, (laughs) So yeah, I sat there reading white papers on anesthesia and trying to get really comfortable with, with the idea. I wouldn't go into a meeting without one of these guys with me initially. I'd be like, you guys have to come in and and talk the clinical side. I don't feel comfortable. 
So it was, uh, it was interesting. I think when you're going into people's practices, dental practices, it has their name on the outside. And so there's a large customer service orientation to it. That was a challenge at the beginning as well. You know, you're working with anesthesiologists that are used to uh, hospital and surgery center environments where you're not really interacting with the outside world. So it was learning, just learning how dentists operated, how patients in their offices operated, how anesthesiologists operated, et cetera. And then learning the rules and regulations. And I feel like we're constantly learning those, those rules and regulations. Every mm-hmm. state is different. And learning how healthcare worked. First year was figuring it all out. Like, what are we? Who are we? What's our story? What is it that's going to scale, right? Like you said, small side gig business. Is this a scalable platform? That was the first question we had to ask ourselves and solve for. And then once we did that, that changed the game. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So when you're walking into these different organizations, why would they choose to partner with SmileMD versus just bringing in an anesthesiologist full-time? Is the burden of having somebody like that just too much to accommodate the volume that you actually bring through the operation? Well, there's a, there's a whole lot of uh, aspects to it, right? First is policies, protocols. How do you interact with the anesthesiologist, all the meds and equipment that go with it? Uh, the anesthesiologist that we recruit are typically in a hospital or surgery center environment. They've some have some have never worked in an office environment, and so we're opening this market to them. And so they need a place to go to learn it. We're the platform that facilitates the dental office and the anesthesiologist to get together, and then we surround them with policies, protocols, met, uh, all the equipment that they need, and all the help that they need to vet the patient, make sure they're safe to be done in an office environment, all of those types of things. So we've built that entire platform over the years. And so that's what allows an anesthesiologist to feel comfortable going into this environment. So basically, right, like an anesthesiologist normally wouldn't jump right into office work from the hospital. They either start out in office work or start out in a hospital and only do that. And again, yeah, so then there's also the the supply demand matching, right? One dental office is not going to sustain an anesthesiologist. Got it. So yeah, there's not, okay. So uh, you have to aggregate all the demand. Um, just like, it's like saying one taxi driver trying to pick up everybody, right? right. That's not going to happen. You need Uber to, to, to do the supply and, and matching and demand matching. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing. We're partnering with all the dental offices, understanding what that demand is, and then scheduling it with an anesthesiologist and saying, hey, there's enough demand to fulfill the the anesthesiologist in their time that they're committing to it, mm-hmm. they don't want to go for one two-hour patient, correct? You know, right? right. They want to go and, and make an income for the day because they have plenty of opportunity to do that mm-hmm. uh, in the anesthesia world. And so we have to be, we have to deliver the user experience that makes them want to work with us. And so that's what we focused on. Everything about everyone to us is a client, the dental office, the dental patient, the anesthesiologist, they're all clients of ours that we're, we're trying to um, deliver an amazing experience for them. So as you, you start to see the value and it starts to catch more and more momentum, how do you begin to scale things? And what does the team look like at that point? What are the first positions you bring on? And then what does it look like today? Yeah, I think the first person we brought on that was critical, uh, we had a part-time COO that uh, 
was do, was helping out, uh, but had passions to want to be part of Loud Capital and is more in the venture community who helped me build the infrastructure. One of the first people that I brought on was a CEO a type person or operations type person, uh, VP of operations, actually. He helped build the infrastructure of what we were doing and what it looks like internally. And then we hired um, operations managers. Uh, we're so big now. I'm trying to think like, I can't even remember what the... Um, not so big. That's probably oxymoron. That's probably not <laughs> accurate. But we have forty to fifty people now versus back then. So I can't remember the chain of of who we hired on. But the VP of operations and logistics was a, a key hire um, to helping us like build the infrastructure because ultimately the logistics of it all, matching people and mm-hmm. patients, and it, it was a big part of it. Yeah. No, I can imagine that it would be difficult to navigate all of that because, especially in healthcare, where I mean. There's a lot of regulations, I would imagine, around not only just how you get the data, how you use it, how you share it out with the anesthesiologist. Like the, I can't even imagine just the paperwork that goes along with that, much less actually getting people to the office at the right time in the right place. No, that's exactly it. And the, and the guy that we hired had a healthcare background, had worked in ophthalmology uh, previously. So he was able to bring best practices into our organization. It was a a very uh, timely hire. And between the two of us, we were able to start scaling the company. Um, and then we brought on a chief growth officer. We brought on someone from the payer side to, to do uh, VP of client success. And so uh, then a full-time logistics VP. And so we're, we're building out our executive team. Uh, we're still doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so those are all key hires. And then really recruiting in the clinical team is I mean, we're nothing without our clinical team, right? right? The paramedics, the nurses, and the anesthesiologists. So we really focused on delivering a care team model uh, over the years. We, we figured that was the best way to do it. How do you replicate the hospital environment? And so we, we had to recruit care team members, which was not just an anesthesiologist. It was a nurse. It was a paramedic. Um, and so it's, uh, it's been a wild ride, but uh, those, are, those are the ones that make this engine run. So where do we go from here? What's what's today, you know, where, what are the goals? What's on the horizon? What are you, what are the initiatives you guys are working on currently? I think for us, it's, uh, we have built an organization that delivers care in local communities. And so you hear me saying that very like methodically because I don't, I'm trying not to say the word anesthesia because we can go and deliver other types of specialists into these local communities. And so now that we've built this logistical platform, our goal is to take care of the underserved populations that, that we see all across the country. And um, we have a niche with SmileMD that we can go and, com- and continue to grow in, into new states. But ultimately, we've been able to partner with all the major payers, and uh, we're talking about all these, the next wave of mm-hmm. medical opportunities that we can go and deliver now in local communities. And this is where the umbrella of off for health comes in because That's right. you can have service like smile MD, but you might have something else. I mean, I'm trying to imagine what other markets might be capable. Like dialysis is the first thing that came sure. to mind for me, but it's probably not where you're going. Well, I mean, if, um, if, if you look at, if you look at healthcare right now, right. So you have medical systems and you have a lot of uh, finite buildings being built mm-hmm. to serve patients. Mm-hmm. And yet we have this huge margin of folks who don't have access to care. And here's an example. You're a five-year-old kid with uh, rotted teeth mm-hmm. and you need help. And so you need anesthesia to provide a dentist or an oral surgeon to extract that. And right now in Ohio, 
the the wait to get in a dental surgery center is about nine to 12 months. Mm. Uh, we opened up in Chicago several months ago. It's about 22 to 24 months. That's in the United States of America in 2021. So just let's just make sure we, we know that. And so you realize that a couple things. Number one, you go to the hospital or surgery center for anesthesia, right? Which I already mentioned. You also uh, do not need a sterile operating room. Right. So what do you need? You need a space, you need staff, you need anesthesia, and you need to enable that procedure, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we do. Right. So when you're talking about offer health, we're enabling medical procedures and just care from specialists that do not need to be done in a system that's been built that perhaps is two hours away. Perhaps you don't even own a car, have public transportation. Perhaps you're a single mother and have limited time. We're saving time, we're saving miles, we're saving progression of disease. And then we're offloading these medical centers that are specialized in certain things mm-hmm. that do require, hey, you need heart surgery, you need a total knee, you need a, you know, all these procedures that require sterile procedure, uh, sterile environments, and then more specialists for admission. Mm-hmm. Those absolutely belong there. But one of the things that COVID did was make the hospital, I definitely don't want to go there. Right. Right. I definitely right. don't want to go there. <laughs> and so it's highlighted, hey, how can we optimize patients and procedures that do not need to be at the hospital or even a surgery center. Mm -hmm. That's what Offer Health is. Offer Health is literally offering a vertical of the healthcare system uh, on a much more economical scale, systemically, Mm -hmm. providing access to care for a lot of people that are probably our neighbors that don't have access to it. Mm -hmm. And then not bringing all these specialists from around the community into one medical center that's an hour away. Right. Why not utilize specialists that are in our backyard to take care of people that are in our backyard? That, that's kind of my blurb on it. And, that, and that's the realization of the power of taking care of patients mm-hmm. that do not need to be in a hospital. What are some of those specialties outside of anesthesiology? So anesthesiology is like the, the oil in the engine, okay? And so if I'm, I'm an anesthesiologist in my old practice, I'd be in an operating room uh, for the full day. And I'll, I'll get to your question, uh, question in a second but anything could come into that operating room. So right. I would do heart surgeries, there'd be some lungs, there'd be some belly surgeries, gallbladders, total knees. I would do that in one day. And I'm only saying that because anesthesiology enables a lot of different procedures. So now take that to the office. We're currently enable, enabling dentists and oral surgeons to do a lot of procedures, but we now have that staff. We now have the foundations, policies, procedures, insurance, logistics, all these things to do so much more. Some of the things are gastroenterology. Mm-hmm. So colonoscopies, for, for instance, and I have a, a lot of buddies that are gastroenterologists. I don't know why, you know, but I do. And there'll be a lot of people who do not seek care, cancer screening, et cetera, because there's a long wait, it's far away. There's a lot of other factors. But what if we can enable a gastroenterologist to be near you, we can open up slots next week where you can get these screening colonoscopies. And if you think about what we can catch uh, in time in advance mm-hmm. and then enable care, you're, you're essentially enabling preventative care and care that's necessary that everyone knows, but we're all humans, right? We don't all go to the gym. We don't all eat healthy. We don't all seek medical care. So gastroenterology is a big one. OBGYN, women's health, that's another thing. I mean, there's a lot of folks who will not get care because it's scary. It's mm-hmm. scary to travel far to see a specialist you don't know. But if you can meet someone in your community, the barrier is a little bit lower. And so we're trying to enable that, not just with access, 
But to change human behavior to say, I'll see care. It's just at my uh, my office that I've gone and, and s- sought primary care, sought dental work from. That's right. a big deal, right? right? Right. So basically you're delivering those services to the place that they're comfortable, which is the primary care doctor or where, you know, the place I typically go for my health care. Yeah. But- off or health could deliver me. Like if I needed to see a gastroenterologist instead of having to schedule an appointment at the hospital and go in and do all that. Right. If the service provider was connected with off or health, they might call you guys up and say, Hey, we need a gastroenterologist, sorry, to come over here on Friday the 15th to see Mike. Yep. For example. Exactly. Right. And we would ask for them to probably stack up a few patients. Right. So they would, Mm -hmm. they would, they would do the demand aggregation for their community. And so then once they had X amount of patients would say it's, you know, it's, we're able to now staff it with a, with a GI doc. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. You're enabling point of care at a more convenient and and sustainable location in these different and and I'm gonna mess up the name for like your actual individual practice. You're focused on whether you're you're focused on knees or whatever your specialty as a as a physician. Do you see anything else besides? And you're doing that just with anesthesiology. It almost seems like there's an opportunity, and I could be completely wrong here, for things besides anesthesiology to then like. Is there other areas of arbitrage inside the medical area that you see that isn't just anesthesiology where this point of care is being done very inconveniently? You you name it. I mean, so anesthesia, so procedures for sure. Okay, non-sterile procedures. And again, I say non-sterile because the, the amount of money it costs to outfit an operating room for staff, I mean, the, it's, it's crazy. It is like a five, seven star luxury hotel per hour. That's how much it costs insurance companies, which it costs the healthcare system, which all we all pay into, right? So that's one thing, but you're absolutely right. You start questioning, do, do we need to go to the hospital for this and this and this? And I actually see a lot more startups focusing on home care, coming to the house and doing an IV. And, and, and that also, that, I think that's great because anything that can offload a specialized tertiary hospital or a medical system totally makes sense. So there's a lot of focus on the home, which I think there's a place for. But what we see is existing capacity that is out there. You have amazing offices out there, whether you're a plastic surgeon, a gynecologist, a dentist, that they've put in their blood, sweat, and tears. And many times when there's something 
that's specialized or a procedure or something, they will send them out to the medical center. So how can we optimize their own practice that they spent time in in their own community and get medical care done there that cannot be done in the home, right? There's a place for the home and then there's a place for, I need to go somewhere to see specialists and get certain care, get labs drawn, get certain things. So, um, you know, that's how we see the vertical of healthcare, the home, the office, and then you have your urgent cares, ambulatory centers, hospitals. We're just adding a new category that exists. We're not building new centers here. We're not spending money. We're saving money to the stakeholders. No, it all adds up. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Smile MD. I know we did want to talk a little bit though about Loud Capital. So Naveen, when did, when did Loud Capital come into play and, and how did that all come about? Yeah. So this, I guess I've never said this way, but as I was working on the side gig, another side gig came up, right? So, so Smile MD, I was looking for help. This is before Cicabe came on board. We had three anesthesiologists who have never started a business before. I started reaching out to folks. Uh, I think I was maybe the more assertive one out of us three to say, let me, let me reach out to the entrepreneurial community and figure out how we get this going. And I started meeting a lot of great people. I started getting intrigued by other entrepreneurs who were doing inspirational stuff. Once again, going back to my original statement of leaving a comfort zone and pursuing purpose or passion. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have some pretty decent income from anesthesia. And so I angel invested in a few. So as I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, as I'm reading some business books, as I'm starting SmileMD with my buddies, I really got into entrepreneurship. And one thing that was kind of a consistent message to me was, well, we're looking for funding. We're looking for funding. We're looking for funding. And that was something that as an angel investor, I can only take care of a little bit. But then I actually had a lot of people in my circle who realized, hey, you started SmileMD. You seem to be getting really into this investing, into equity, angel investing, et cetera. Let me know if there's other deals. And I started becoming a point, a source where, hey, what's the latest deal? And it became natural when I met my co-founder, his name's Darshan, been a serial entrepreneur. He's been in the startup space for a long time, always been helping people. He's the biggest heart, one of the biggest hearts I know, and has always been helpful in the entrepreneurial community. So me me and him got together. We started talking about, we, you know, it's, it sucks that so many people don't have funding. We're in the Midwest. The venture capital community is very young. When you look at the West Coast, you have like 12, 13 generation VC. And the Midwest, it's like fourth generation. All that means is there's just not a mature environment. A lot of people don't know about raising capital. There wasn't a lot of firms at the time, still isn't. You know, there still can be a lot more. And so it just was something that uh, we came up with to say, why don't we just raise some money from people that are asking us about deals and invest in these great companies? So it started out as a, as a small fund. A lot of my physician folks in my network who were coming up to me and saying, oh, you're into this. Uh, we raised some capital from them and we started investing. And that literally was a side gig opportunity. And what happened afterwards was mind blowing to me, going back to the unfulfilled physician at work, investing in people, the gratefulness, and I think the trust that was built when they started coming to myself and Darshan for asking for other entrepreneurial advice. Hey, thanks for investing, but what do you think about this? And I would look behind me and I would say, are you talking to me? You know, I, I, I just started this SmileMD, which hasn't even proven itself yet. But, you know, looking back, it, it was just people need a trusted source. People just need to spit out ideas and be heard. 
And if you care a little bit and can give them some advice, like that sounds stupid, or maybe I would consider this, that is valuable. So it's like that mentorship that people don't have. So very early on, I realized that there's, there was a, another pocket or another place for me to play in uh, with bringing my ethical behavior, moral compass from the hospital. Because as physicians, we're, we're credible people, we're ethical people, we wanna help people. But I will say that the hospital is really not a great environment to just be that person. And many of us as physicians don't know this, and this is actually what I talk to a lot of physicians about, is you are a hardworking, intelligent, credible person, and there are other vehicles you can be helping and impacting people. And that's what Loud Capital is. So Loud Capital started after that first fund. It became so much more than just investing money. It became investing time into people. And then you realize that people can really launch into very purpose-driven things. And so my physician background into helping people, now I'm helping people through venture, which really is not, usually doesn't mesh. Like that's usually not the thing. Like I'm into venture capital because entrepreneurship and disruption and all these other things. I actually believe in purpose-driven companies that will make profit, but I think that we should be spending time, money, resources on pushing companies and people that are doing things for society. There's not enough of that. And I'm very vocal about that. I, you know, Offer Health is a perfect example. And I think that's where I have some stage because I co-founded a company that literally is providing access to care to five and six and seven and eight-year-old kids who had a 12-month wait list Mm -hmm. and we're taking care of them within a month and we're saving money in the medical system. Just think about that for a second. So now I think every business can be that social enterprise. It can be a for-profit, sustainable, it can make sense, and it can actually help people and the kids in our backyard. So that's my long, 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 long spiel. So today, what does is, what is Loud Capital look like? Yeah, so great question. Loud Capital is a venture capital firm and alternative investment firm. So realize, especially in the Midwest, there were plenty of people who were not familiar with venture or not willing to even learn about it and said, that just seems risky. So very early on, we started different offerings, passive income offerings. Uh, We don't do really real estate, but I respect it. But anything in the alternative space, we do life settlements, merchant cash advance, a lot of capital right now, whatever we're putting our time, money and people towards, it's for purpose-driven organizations and companies. And so we uh, have... Uh, we're very fortunate enough to, to grow really quickly in the last five years. We have an office in Chicago. We have an office in Raleigh. Of course, here in Columbus is our headquarters in the Arena District. And we actually have an innovation center in Beijing. Um, hope to talk a little bit more about our China ambitions and, and all, you know really a lot of stuff that's been going on. It's taken a long time, over three years. Um, but the reason we've spread out in these markets is because we have people that are so bought in They want to represent Loud Capital and the impact investing thesis in their market. And that's why Chicago opened up. My chief investment officer, Nishad, is in Chicago. A couple of years ago, he said, I really would love to do this. I just want an office here in Chicago and I want to continue it. So we did it. It's one of the best things we've done. And we got to work with the Chicago Bulls last year because we had an office in Chicago. They reached out. We did this venture competition. And here we are on the NBA floor with Chicago Bulls doing a venture competition that just has to do with entrepreneurship, 
and finding badass founders in the city of Chicago. That's cool. I mean, that's where this has taken us. And now we're talking with a few other great sports organizations that I hope to announce here in the near future. And now we're in Raleigh for the same reason. Another friend and investor, his name's Marshall. He's an orthopedic surgeon who's a badass. He takes care of athletes and takes care of their joints and specifically shoulders. And now he's working with Loud Capital and, and is running the Raleigh office. I mean, so, so this is something you can't really plan as a strategy, but it's really just being bought in and it's going with the flow. And that's what we've done. Yeah, it's interesting. Is there like a go-to? So like, I guess the question I have is, is there really any go-to venture capital firm for like healthcare startups in general? There are, a, I will say, there are a lot of funds out there now. And you have a lot of operators who, or entrepreneurs who exit a company who want to start a fund, which I love, by the way. I think we need more funds. There's so many underfunded, great talent and entrepreneurs. You don't have enough funds. Um, but I have started seeing more folks running healthcare funds. And there are VC firms that say, hey, I'm health and life sciences, et cetera. So I do see that. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza or anything. I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's what I was going to say. As soon as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best we're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too, so. Yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which mm-hmm. I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee and then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events. Right now they're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far, that's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. What about any other advice that either of you have for listeners out there that might be aspiring entrepreneurs, young professionals, even people running businesses? Do you guys reflect on everything that you've accomplished today and what the goals are for the future? Is there anything in particular that really sticks out that you want to share and give back? I'd say uh, you need to be very resilient um, and resourceful. Uh, I can only speak from personal experience. Uh, What drives me is knowing that this has to happen. Like this vision of ours has to happen. And it's whether it's us or somebody else, someone needs to make this work, right? Like this is the future of healthcare. Someone needs to make this happen. And so that's what drives me. Now, how do you get there? Um, You have to weather the storms of the ups and downs of building a company. You'll never be prepared for that. There's, you're, you're dealing with people. And then as you scale, you're dealing with lots of people. An exponential amount of complications comes from every person you add to your team or, or you interact with adds that much more opportunity for a challenge to, to be to come on to your company. And so you need to be very resilient and resourceful in seeking out advice, help, 
whatever you can to, to, to weather the storm. I, I think it's, it's a very rocky road that goes ups, has lots of ups and downs, but what drives you or keeps you grounded is knowing that you're just so bought into what this needs to be that you feel every day that I need to take one step closer to making this a reality for the world. I don't know if any of that was advice. It was more along like what I've, I've had to deal with. And so I'm just saying, be prepared prepared for that type of situation. Yeah. And I would just add that uh, I talked to a lot of people who reach out and say, you know, what's your advice? What would you say you've learned? How have you got here? I, my realization is just start something, even if you don't even have a desire. I tell my kids, I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old, both girls. And I talk to them every time about, all right, what do you want to do? You want to start a YouTube channel, which that's uh, yeah, a little controversial because I don't want to get crazy social media, but if you want to sell something, if you have this passion and you have these hundred things sitting at home, start something, start selling it, use a Shopify backend account, sell it on Amazon, start doing something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you get there or not, but that is education that is priceless. Figuring out, making you ask questions. How the hell do I sell this on Amazon? I don't know. How do you, how do you go look up some forums, right? That is stuff that is really not taught in the classroom. I have nothing against the classroom, but I'm not here because of the classroom, right? Maybe that's controversial, but that's the truth. And so start something. So start selling something, start making something, start investing in something. That is priceless education. Just start. I like it. I like it a lot. And uh, gentlemen, it's been great talking to you today. I think good time to pivot towards our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you guys too much about why we chose that particular phrase, you're already smiling, so maybe you guess why. Uh, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your lives and careers? And so, Kate, maybe we could start with you. Yeah, um, I think everything I do is to to put myself in new challenging situations. And so when I think of live uncomfortably, it's uh, I, I find per personal fulfillment from taking on new challenges. I've, I love always love being the underdog. And so everything in the entrepreneurial world, betting on yourself um, is uncomfortable sometimes. And so embrace it. When, when you look back 10 years from now, even if this had never gone anywhere and I moved to Columbus, um, I would have been able to say, at least I tried, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, living uncomfortably is, uh, or, or being uncomfortable is part of the process of, of growing up and, and being, becoming more mature. And Naveen, anything to add to that? Yeah, same, I mean, similar sentiment. Living uncomfortably to me is the only way you're gonna learn. And so I actually am, am a person who can talk, you know, that I actually left this very comfortable thing that I worked my whole life for. Um, and whatever happens with Loud Capital, Offer Health, the fact that I did that, I feel like I've learned so much and I want to pass that wisdom on for others. Again, starting something to just learn something. I think that's so crucial. So it, it means a whole, a lot to me. And it's, it's something I'm trying to teach the mindset of to other folks, younger, older. So yeah, it's, it's a great, great motto. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun talking to you both. All right. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Had a great time. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Sakate Agrawal and Naveen Goyle. 
And so Kate is the CEO of SmileMD. Naveen was a co-founder of SmileMD as well as the co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like it every week, hit that subscribe button down below, whatever podcast app you're listening on. Appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.